All right, Alexander, let's talk about U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's speech at Johns Hopkins University. Um, an interesting speech from Blinken. He actually tweeted out many of the points that he made during this speech because he was, I think he was very proud of, of uh, the, the, the foreign policy uh, agenda that he laid out during this, uh, this speech at uh, Johns Hopkins University. Uh, what, what, what part of the, of the speech do you want to start with? Of course, there's Russia, Ukraine, multipolar world. This is the speech where many people say Blinken acknowledged that we have a multipolar world, even though he didn't say it like that. It was an acknowledgement that we have a multipolar world. Uh, there was a lot of praise for uh, Jake Sullivan. Uh, what else? Uh, what, what other parts of the speech did you find interesting? Well, let, let's start with the admission that the unipolar moment has ended, because, of course, that is there. I mean, he has. He, let, let's let's start with the best bit first. He admits that the unipolar moment has ended. He doesn't talk about it in that way. He says that the post-Cold War era has ended. It's a wonderful period of history, you know, the post-Cold War period, full of optimism and hope. We were moving steadily forwards towards the sunny uplands of democracy and human rights and all of those things. Of course, there were a few, you know, small problems along the way. You know, there was Iraq, there was Afghanistan, there was 9-11, there was the global financial crisis and all of those things. But everything was going so well until these horrible people in Moscow and Beijing came along and spoiled it. But we have to accept that they are these horrible people. They are very powerful, especially the horrible people in China. And the result is we now have to accept that we are in the post-post-Cold War period. The period of unipolarity has ended. We are once more in a conflict situation. So that's the best part of his speech. Uh, he admits that the United States no longer is in a position of world dominance. It is no longer the unipolar world. Every other part of the speech, as far as I was concerned, was a total disaster. In fact, I'm going to say it straightforwardly. I thought it was the most disastrous speech that a Secretary of State, a US Secretary of State, has, has given in terms of its catastrophic effects, it rivals Tony Blair's Chicago speech of 1999, in which Tony Blair talked about, you know, the Westphalia period ending, which he doesn't understand, by the way, he's completely wrong about, but that's another story, and says that, in effect, the West now has not only a right, but even a duty to intervene everywhere in everybody's internal affairs as it chooses. So I, I, I put this latest speech on that level, and um, I was utterly dismayed reading it. And in order to give myself a little bit of comfort, you know, to remember that things used to be better, I reread JFK's peace speech at another university, American America University, also in the Washington, D.C. area. I understand that speech of extraordinary rationality and humanity, a speech which looked to reach out to America's adversary, specifically the Soviet Union, 
talked about the importance of understanding your opponent, trying to work with your opponent to achieve a sustainable, realistic peace, what perhaps the greatest speech an American president has given since the end of the Second World War, a speech which many people think was the reason why President Kennedy was eventually killed. Well, I'm not going to go and discuss that. But a speech that was the diametric opposite in every respect to the one that Secretary Blinken has just delivered. And if you want a discussion of the Kennedy speech, well, you know, we did a great programme with Jeffrey Sachs about it. Anyway, Blinken's speech is completely different. He says that we're now in this conflict with these to horrible people in Beijing and Moscow, the people who want to make the world safe for autocracy. They're these bad authoritarians, and we must take them on. And we must take them on at the same time. Because when you unpack it, that, in effect, is what he's saying. He says that the United States is now involved in a confrontation with these two nuclear superpowers simultaneously and must continue to be so. Um, obviously, you know, we can perhaps find things to talk about, not, of course, with the Russians, they're, you know, beyond redemption, but sometimes with the Chinese, but ultimately they are our enemy and we must treat them as such. It's I have to say, I thought it was a disastrous speech. Now, so many people have been saying ever since the 1960s and 1970s that the United States cannot afford to be in confrontation with both of these adversary superpowers at the same time. Nixon and Kissinger, they might have been morally defective people in all sorts of ways, but they understood that. They worked to improve relations with both the Chinese and the Russians simultaneously. They were incredibly successful. They opened up the China. They basically placed the United States in pivot position between these two other great powers. They put the United States in a very, very strong strategic position indeed. We've had articles that appeared right at the start of the administration, the the Biden administration about, you know, we mustn't allow ourselves to be become drawn into a two front war against both of these countries simultaneously. Uh, we had proposals at the Atlantic Council, you know, that we reach out to the Russians, make concessions to them. We had people like Wes Mitchell say, no, we've got to break the Russians because we can't afford to be in a two front war with the Russians and the Chinese simultaneously. Well, Blinken is embracing it. He, he, he actually embraces this situation where the United States is now in an adversary situation with the Chinese and the Russians at one and the same time. I mean, he thinks that he has said something brilliant. As you said, he's retweeting it all over the place. It's the big thing that you will find on the State Department's website. He has shown no understanding, again, of the limits of American power. He's shown no understanding, again, of the complexities of the world as it actually is. He accepts that the United States is no longer the unchallenged leader, but instead of drawing the obvious conclusions from that, he wants 
to take on the Chinese and the Russians at one and the same time. Contrast that, as I said, when Kennedy was speaking, reaching out to the Russians, that was said at a time when the United States was, in every material respect, at the absolute height of its power. At that time, President Kennedy had the wisdom to understand that even from that position of enormous strength, the United States needed to reach out to its adversary. Today, Blinken, from a much weaker position, argues and pushes the opposite. Yeah, from a much weaker position, he argues that the U.S. is not the, the unipolar power anymore. We're now in a multipolar world, while at the same time saying that the U.S. now, as it's, it's in a weaker position, as it is no longer a unipolar power, will take on the other two main competitors, Russia and China. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. How, how does Blinken envision this, this, this war against China and Russia? I mean, what's, what's his plan here? What is your plan, Anthony Blinken, for the United States at this moment in time to take on both Russia and China? And by the way, that seems to be where he's pushing the United States I mean, obviously, they're in a proxy war with, with Russia, but every day we're seeing more and more arg articles antagonizing China, whether it's Ursula's State of the Union, where she antagonizes the Russian auto industry, whether it's Annalena Baerbock, whether it was um, the other day uh, Ram Emanuel, the ambassador to Japan, he took jabs at, uh, at uh, China. I mean, and, and they're very personal, too. Like, they go after Xi Jinping in a very personal way. So, I mean... How, how does Blinken see all of this unfold to the benefit of the United States? Well, I, I, can't, I can't see. I mean, you know, uh, you read the article, he talks about strengthening the United States, strengthening friendships and alliances with various countries. Even, by the way, as he admits early in his speech, that more and more countries are actually uh, hedging and are working with, with the Chinese and the Russians. But, you know, in spite of all of that, he wants more of the same. Now, to use a metaphor that somebody else used about a different speech, I can't remember who it was. I mean, it, this speech was all cliches. If you go back to Kennedy's speech, Kennedy's speech, reasoned argument. There's no cliches there. There's just thoughtful, careful discussion and analysis. In this speech... To come back to that metaphor, it reminded the, the, the cliches were like a Macedonian phalanx marching across the page. It was full of them. It was entirely, exclusively littered with cliches. That, I mean, there really isn't any thinking behind it at all that I could see. No strategizing whatsoever. I mean, I, I was incredulous because he has no plan. It's very typical of the neocons, actually, when you think about it. You know, they, they don't need a plan. No. They can just magically wish for it to, to happen, yes. and it magically will, will happen. You know, we're going to defeat Russia and China at the same time. What's the plan? We don't know. We don't care. We, we don't think in, in, those, in, in, those, uh, in those terms. We're the power. We're going to defeat them. That's the way it's going to be. Let's uh, let's start a war with Russia and China. I mean, it's this is Blinken is a neocon through Sometimes I say he's a neoliberal. He's a neocon. Yeah, from top to bottom. Maybe That's it's masked underneath this neoliberal facade and this 
this uh, this climate change green um, green uh, woke facade. But when you get deep deep into the core of what what makes Anthony Blinken tick, it's it's pure neocon. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the assumption also somehow is that, you know, sooner or later, somehow or other, because we're the good people and the other people are the bad people, it will always it will always turn out right for us somehow in the end. I mean, that's that's the sort of underlying presumption that, you know, be, we can't possibly lose because we're on the side of good, which is, again, very much the, the kind of thinking that the sort of Blinken side of you know neoconism tends to think that uh, and of course the real world isn't like that <laughs> that's not how things actually happen i mean that was something that president kennedy understood way back in the early 60s but of course in the case of blinken he he just can't he can't fathom this i mean you know he can't he can't see the other side as anything else other than bad people and he can't conceive of himself as anything other than good people. So, you know, good must win because, well, that's what good always does. And that, that is his plan, as far as I could tell, because he has no other. That, that's where the cliches all come from. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me amend what, what I said previously, Alexander, and get your thoughts. Maybe Blinken is a new type of neocon. You know, maybe he is. I'm thinking about what you just said right now. And then I was thinking about a video that we previously did about uh, Ukraine and how uh, the Blinken side of things wants to freeze to the conflict so that they can they can rebuild Ukraine and then go after Russia maybe 10 years down the line. While the old school neocons like like Newland and Kagan, they're like no negotiations, no talking with the Russians, just keep on fighting and and we'll uh, and we'll figure figure things out. Uh, maybe Blinken is a new type of neocon where we actually are seeing the, the merging of neoliberal ideology with neocon come into, come into one, one life force in, in Anthony Blinken. So maybe he's not so much like these old, old school, hardcore yeah. neocons like Kagan, Newland, Crystal. Um, I remember Rumsfeld or McCain or all of these guys, uh, Lindsey Graham. Maybe he's like a new type of, yes, I think of, he of neocon. Yeah, I think he is. I think what basically happened was that during the Trump period, when the neocons basically broke with the Republican Party at that time, um, or at least with the Trump wing of the Republican Party, essentially the neocons and the neoliberals of that period just merged with each other. They united with each other. And I think what's happened is that they've, there's been a kind of cross-fertilisation and to the extent that there were ever differences, and, you know, there were differences of nuance. I mean, the neoliberals always talked about human rights and democracy. The neocons, much the old classical, you know, Ch Cheney, Rumsfeld type neocons didn't really worry about that so much. But now they've merged and all of the neocons now increasingly talk in that way. Even Kagan Co. talk to a great extent like that now. So they all talk in the same, there are tactical differences. Um, Blinken wants a freeze, I think he does want a freeze of the conflict in Ukraine. I think he understands at some level that this is now um, unsustainable. Um, I don't think the Newland-Kagan group do, but these are tactical differences. If we're talking about the underlying ideology, there's, there's only one. All of them together have come together now. They did this during the Trump era and they've merged with each other 
and they all meet and they all talk and they all exchange ideas and they all talk the same talk and they all think ultimately the same way. They might have differences in tactics, but that's all there is to it nowadays. Yeah, right. I mean, Blinkett freeze and say Newland's approach to, to the conflict in Ukraine, they may be different today, but 10 years from now, they still have the same end goal, which is to destroy Russia, to, uh, to, to lead to regime change and to balkanize the, the Russian Federation. I mean, they both, they both want to get to the same place as far as Russia is concerned, and I'm sure China as well, but they have different approaches as to, as to how to get there. I guess you could say that Blinken's a little bit more sneaky in his approach, where someone like, like Newland or Kagan or, or the Rumsfeld, Cheney types are just more, you know, just, just let's go and break it. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, it's not a, as sneaky as, say, I say the blinkets of, of the world. Absolutely, it's a change of tactics, it's, but the strategy is, is essentially identical. And by the way, you mentioned all the talk about breaking up Russia. The most interest, one of the interesting things about Blinken's speech is that, of course, the very first person he invoked was Brzezinski, <laughs> you, know, who, uh, uh, you know, was in some ways the person who um, started off this thing about, you know, fragmenting Russia in, you know, his, his book, The Grand Chessboard. So, you know, Brzezinski is the very first person that Blinken talks and praises and speaks about and says, you know, how we're all his students, in effect. So, um, which is interesting. Of course, that doesn't do full justice to Brzezinski because towards the end of his life, at the very end of his life, Brzezinski actually started to rethink some of his own ideas and started to have doubts about them. But of course, you'll never see any of the today's neocons, um, you know, catch up with that or understand that. So, you know, there it was. He also, by the way, quoted uh, Kennan at one point, George Kennan. Uh, but of course, he quotes... The early Kennan, the Kennan who um, is supposed to be the great advocate of facing down the Soviet Union and containment. He doesn't mean the late Kennan, who was all about detente and opposed NATO's eastward expansion. So it's an interesting choice of people that he selected. Of course, to some extent, his own choice, but also, I suspect, he script writers. I was going to ask you real quick who you think actually wrote the script for for Blinken. Oh, I think Blinken. I think Blinken has I played Blinken a big. Blinken wrote most of it. I th well, I don't think he wrote it, but I, I mean, it certainly reflects. I think his actual ideas. If you listen to him, if you listen to the kind of things that Blinken says in interviews and you know discussions, and I mean, it is fully consistent with his underlying positions and beliefs. And you know, I said that most of it was cliches. Well, that's how Blinken is. He talks in cliches. I, I, I invite people you know, to read Kennedy's speech in 1963 and then read Blinken's, and they will see exactly what I mean. Kennedy, no, no cliches at all. Straight, clear, lucid reasoning, spoken at the height of American power. This speech... One cliche after another, rolling across the page. Yeah, reminds me of Obama, the way Obama speaks. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram. 
Rockfin and X and go to the Durant shop, 10% off, use the code. Good day. Take care.